Well, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, but uh, I get a real kick out of him. He's, he's a good, clean comedy, Christian comedy, and uh, he kind of makes it funny about how teens especially. I'm going to pick on the teens a little bit, all right? Um, you know, every generation has their own vocabulary. Uh, last night I got together with Brad McMath, who is one of our missionaries, but Brad and I and Ken, our worship pastor, who he's, he's out this weekend on his anniversary. Um, oh, by the way, I, I, get, I get a little bit distracted, but if you have Ken's number, text him right now and says, Pastor says happy anniversary. I've got to get him back for him uh, making me think my fly was down one Sunday when it wasn't. So text him and interrupt his anniversary just for a moment just to say happy anniversary uh, from Pastor. So anyway, while you're doing that, I'll finish my story. So um, Tim Hawkins kind of picks at the fact that, you know, we all have our own vocabulary and generations. When I was in Bible school with, with Brad, who I visited last night with, um, there's these two guys from a little town in Kansas in the room right next to us in the dorms. And you shared a bathroom. There's four guys, one bathroom. And these guys had a bad habit since there wasn't, I don't know why our lock didn't work on the door. They just come through while we're studying and just want to talk. But the words that were cool to them had already reached us like 10 years before. So, I mean, it's like the 90s, and they're saying, dude. You know, they're like, dude this, dude that. So we just started kind of pick at them in good fun, and, and uh, we'd do all kinds of them. But the, the thing was, it was just funny. Their vocabulary is so different than us. And it's kind of like teens that will say, um, Tim Hawkins picks it saying, that's the worst. You know, you know my cereal is... is uh, uh, too dry that's the worst you know and it's not the worst thing in your life right your cereal is too dry or your you know whatever but they they say those things it, and it reminds me of this this dad that's kind of frustrated with uh his teen just using words you know out of context and so he says uh you know he kept saying you know I, this just really angers me you know or the teen would say um this just makes me furious uh this makes me outraged it's like son let me let me help you with the difference between the terms you're using um there's a difference between being annoyed and, and being angry and being outraged he says i'll prove it to you so he picks up the phone he calls a random number guy answers the phone he goes hey is stanley there the guy says no you got the wrong number there's no stanley the guy hangs up says now watch this calls it back again says is stanley there the guy says you just called me and i told you you've got the wrong number there's no stanley there so he hangs up says now see that's annoyed that guy's annoyed calls him back he says hey is stanley there the guy says you must have some nerve to keep calling me i've already told you there's no stanley quit calling me click he says now see that's anger he says watch this calls him again says hey this is stanley have you got any messages for me and the guy just blows up hangs up says now that's outrage but you know we got we have so many choices we are a a uh we are a culture of choice that we even take our language and, and we can just change the meaning at the uh, drop of a hat. The, the original person who helped uh, bring that word into our language had a specific intention for that word to mean something and then we do whatever we want with it. Uh, I mean, it's the same way with so many things in our lives. We have so many choices. Um, you know, in this area, if, if you are going to church in Wyoming, your church may be 200 miles from the next church. And so you really got to be able to sell your differences because if you want to go to church, you're not going to drive 200 miles. Whereas Northwest Arkansas, if, if I make you mad, you can literally walk out of here and walk across the street and be in another church in like five minutes, right? But day, day after day, we're, we're confronted with a vast array of options. 
And so many options are heterospin. You go in to Baskin-Robbins. How many flavors? See, we don't have a Baskin-Robbins here, do we? 31, right? You know, Burger King claims, Burger King has made the claim that the Whopper, their signature burger, has 1,024 different ways a customer can order that iconic burger. Now, I know of pickles, onions, lettuce, tomatoes, ketchup, mustard, mayo. I don't know where they're getting 1,024, but supposedly you have that many options. So imagine Subway, what kind of options you could have there. I mean, Jared, Mr. Subway, could take the rest of his life to eat all the combinations, right? So we have so many options. What we eat, what we wear, what we listen to, what we watch, what we do and think. I mean, it'd be really interesting if a statistician could, could figure out how many options the average American is presented with on a daily basis. If you watch TV before work, you've been confronted with ads, making a choice about product. When you drive down the road, the billboards, another choice. You, you get to work and there's choices. It's mind-boggling. Henry Ford, when he began selling the Model T automobile, he was known to have said, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. If you were to go back and look at pictures from that time, all the cars are black. You see all these people, I understand they're black and white photos, but truly it was like black suits. You know, there, there's just, there was less options. So today, in this day and time, we have so many options. And it can be a great blessing, of course. I mean, I like to have choices. As individuals, we can do things that former generations couldn't dream of. I mean, now if I want to know how to fix my vehicle, I don't have to make best buddies with a good mechanic. I've got YouTube, right? We've got choices at our fingertips. So obviously, we've just grown accustomed to it and used to thinking that, Thinking that way in an optional way, we're, we're pretty much option people. And so whenever our options become limited by some force or some voice outside ourselves, we have a, dis, a tendency to become dismayed or annoyed or even angry. And we like our options and, and we want them the way we, we, we always want them. It's like Jennifer and I, when she was pregnant with the boys and we we're in the hospital waiting for uh, the doctors and stuff, we discovered they just come out with um, berries and cream Dr. Pepper. And I show up with a couple 12-packs berries cream Dr. Pepper. Uh, never mind the fact that I think she had gestational diabetes at the time, but, you know, <laughs> being the good new daddy I am, I come up with. But, you know, we're, we're loving that stuff. In fact, people come in to visit. We had this tower of cans. They're like, did you guys have a party? Like, no, that's just from us. Hey, you mind stopping at the store? I mean, we, we love that. And then when they took that away, what is Dr. Pepper Company thinking, right? What are they thinking? Uh, why would anybody get rid of that choice? We get angry. It's like if you go to your hotel that you've stayed at so many times and they always turn the pillows a certain way, they always turn the bed down and put a mint on your pillow, and you go, and it's all done different and no mint. Like this place is going to pot, right? You might as well close the place down. They're, they're going to go downhill now. They're going to lose all their customers. We're just so dismayed by, by when our choices are reduced. So it's not really surprising, is it, when we think about it, that we've grown so accustomed to, in such a way of thinking that the words of Jesus would be called into question by some in his time and now when, when he, he talks about him being the only way. And he quite clearly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
that doesn't jive too well with our culture, does it? He says that in John 14, 6. Peter also, Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's only one God, one Lord. There's, there's only one way. But still, as we view it from the con- context of our optional lives, it's a little unsettling, isn't it? You don't have multiple ways you can get to heaven. You know, if, if you have a certain talent, like maybe I can just play an instrument all the way to heaven. I don't have to worry about anything else. Maybe I've got money. I could buy my way in. Everybody gets to vote. Everybody gets to live their life as they choose. This is an individual nation, right? We're all individuals. That's why the gospel is even more controversial now than ever before. Because it doesn't give you a lot of options current environment we're in it's just not cool to think this way it's not inclusive it's not it's not open-minded you're you're telling other people how to live and and you just can't do that that's just that's not right that's bigotry right you're you're being judgmental because you're telling somebody else how to live you're 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 telling other people that they can't live that way and so it's just not acceptable would i be surprised would you be surprised if i told you that this is the reaction to our our very specific Lord is it's no, not only not unique in our world, it's not unique in His either when He was walking the earth. In fact, there's a man in the Old Testament times. His name is Naaman. In fact, the title of the message today is When the World Wants a Yes Man, Make Them a Naaman. See, Naaman, he was powerful and rich. I mean, he was a, a military leader. He was famous he was popular see that's one thing to lead people a lot of us who maybe we've not been management right oh if i could just be the manager things would change that person that's slacking i would take care of that right away nobody would buck me right i'd change it until you become a leader you realize that works so long and then you're not a leader anymore you know why because people quit following you know they they only can be pressured so much dictatorships they might have a long reign of terror oppressing their people and, and pushing, but eventually people have enough, rise up and overthrow them. That's why in Mexico and other uh, South American countries, they have new leaders every once in a while. Military leader gets up and gets powerful enough. Everybody's disgusted with a politician that used to be a military leader. They have a coup. They overthrow him. cycle begins. Some of them change every six months. So Naaman, though, he's different. He's actually popular. Apparently people he leads actually like him being their leader. So he has all this stuff going for him. I mean, he's famous, he's popular, he's a leader, he's rich, he's powerful. And he may not have all the fancy gadgets that we have, um, but he uh, has servants to carry out his every wish. He has food, he has anything he wants. And so he's this general and commander of the army of a kingdom known as Aram, which is uh, to the north of Israel. And Nahum served with distinction, praised by his people, exalted by his king. So from the world's point of view, even our time, if we were looking at it now, General Naaman had everything. And, you know, yesterday, I, or was it yesterday or day before, I was not able to watch the inauguration, but, you know, I know how that ends, right? President's riding off the new president. In the, now it's his presidential limo. Now the Secret Service are focused all on him only, and, you know, and, and uh, he's going in the motorcade. And so this is kind of how Naaman lived. I mean, he's... 
he's got all this pomp and circumstance around him, but he has everything except one thing very important. And some of us will understand this more than others because we've been touched by it, but he doesn't have good health. In fact, he's got leprosy. In that time, that's a kiss of death. And this is a terrible disease, and he's, so he's, he's very ill. So he has everything but his good health. And so he has this life overflowing with options, but he can't heal himself. He's confronted with his own mortality and the prospects, prospects of a terminal illness and death. And so there will always be a point in which in everyone's life when nothing more can be done and you meet that end and that's why wealthy people, a lot of times, they have these great deathbed confessions because they've ignored the very important things in life and it's been about material possessions. They come to the end and realize it's not going with me and I can't heal myself and the end's coming. And so we're confronted with the important matters. So it was this position that our man Naaman found himself for he had the leprosy. And so this disease at first shuts down the blood vessels in your extremities. So you lose feeling. And then a slow and steady cadence, it would march on towards your vital organs and organs and then take your life. Now I grew up thinking that leprosy made your limbs fall off. How many how many have thought that? Leprosy it actually doesn't. It, it's actually a little more gory than that. Because what happens is this was in a day and time and in third world countries where their houses aren't sealed up real good. And they lose feeling in their extremities. They lose the circulation, which it does start to, it can start to deteriorate and die. But the reason they were known limbs falling off because when in their sleep, rats would come in and begin to chew off those limbs. And so they couldn't feel it. They didn't realize they were literally being eaten alive. And so, so this, this uh, disease is horrible. It's morbid. It's almost worse than a horror movie, right? And so he's got this. But all's not truly lost because in his household was a young servant girl from Israel who had been captured and put in service of Naaman's wife. Now, for those of you on the worship team and others who sat through first service, I have to apologize because I got excited and I misstated this and carried uh, something through the whole message uh, that wasn't accurate. So the servant girl was not Naaman's wife. It was Naaman's wife's sec- uh, servant girl that actually um, apparently was drawn to uh, the work of the Lord and knew of a godly man that could help him. So she goes to her mistress, Naaman's wife, says, if only my master would go and see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure himself of leprosy. And so with the utter certainty in which this servant girl talked, coupled with the fact that Naaman had no other choices, right? When it came to his health, there's no other choices. So he was convinced to go check out this prophet she talked about. This prophet in Samaria of whom the young girl had spoken was Elisha. Elisha was a godly man. And so this representative of the true God was there. And uh, this is the God that created all heavens, all earth, created our bodies and is a great physician. And so Naaman uh, goes to meet with Elisha. Now this is, if this happened in day and time, can you imagine, here's option man. Here is a powerful military leader. He's got the motorcade, he's got everything, uh, power and wealth, and he's going to see the humble prophet. 
the little missionary, the little pastor off in the little village. And so he goes and showing up with all this pomp and circumstance. And so he, he gets there. And so this is option man meeting Jesus Christ, a representative of. So Naaman should have come to the Lord's prophet on his knees since he was in a spot where he couldn't do anything for himself, but he didn't. He came with all his glory and power. In fact, he used his political clout and he had his king write the king of Israel. And then he also brought with him over 7,500 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. What was Naaman thinking? Either by power or by money. I'm going to get my healing, right? So when he arrived at the house of Elisha, it was full of all these people, the military people pulling up. and uh, So he's, he gets there. And what does Elisha do? Well, is he wowed by this display? Does Elisha just come out and say, woo? Now, I live out in the country, and where our house is at, unless you've gotten there by mistake, you know, if somebody pulls up our drive, we know they're coming to see us or they're, they're in the wrong place because you just don't drive past our house, right? And so if I saw the presidential limo pull up in front of our house, Secret Service come up on the porch and stand around, I probably wouldn't just be in there drinking my coffee like, mm, that's interesting, keep watching TV. You know, I'd probably go see what's going on. But what does Elisha do? He doesn't come to the door. He's not really even giving him the time of day. What does Elisha do? Well, he sends out a, a servant. And so Elisha was not being rude. He was actually saying something, but he was not using words. Usually prophets use words to communicate, but Elisha this time, he's using his actions to communicate to Nahum, Naaman. So this is really the first step anyone who wishes to be helped by the Lord has to go through. They have to go through admitting that he's that God is greater than you. I used to have a college professor that make us repeat this. He'd say, there is a God, and he'd say this at the beginning of class, and then we'd have to say, and I am not him. There, there's, there's this process of saying that, God, you're greater than me, and, and that you know more than me, and, and admitting that, that I can't buy my way with you, God. I can't, I can't use any power or clout or anything earthly to convince you. So, in other words, the only posture that is acceptable when approaching your Creator is humility. I've said before, that word is going out of style, right? It's kind of like I said in the beginning, those guys from Kansas, Kansas lived next to me who were just learning the word dude and overusing it. This world has replaced humility with pride. Now that's the popular word. We're proud of ourselves. We're proud of everything. You should have pride. Humility so out. That's so, that's so 2000s. You know, that's so 1999. And so this message was reinforced by what Nahum was told to do because here's what Elisha does. He doesn't come out. He sends a messenger out who tells the general, Naaman, to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. You've got to understand historically this time, I don't, haven't seen the Jordan River physically myself uh, in my lifetime, but it's known to be a muddy, dirty river. This guy's showing up and probably very nice, you know, he's a military leader. He's not the grunt soldier. He's coming up looking like I am the powerful one. You, they always identify that guy in their garb, right? If you look at generals today, you know, in other countries, they have the big tassels and, you know, the more shiny stuff, the higher up you are. Uh, so this is, this is really confusing to Naaman because he comes prepared to buy, uh, to, to per persuade, 
and, and the prophet doesn't come out. Sends a, and the guy comes out, that's his servant, just says, um, yeah, he said, don't kill me, he said, go down to that muddy river and dip yourself seven times. Not once, seven times. Military believers probably like, you see these Nike sandals? Do you know what a pair of air sandals cost in this day and time? I'm not even stepping on that muddy bank, right? You see the air cushion thing, specially designed for my chariot, right? So, so this is this is Naaman being confronted with his pride, like any proud man who's accustomed to an optional way of life. He starts rattling off what he thinks his options should be, and and he's angry that that the prophet didn't seem to be taking them into account. He's not taking me seriously, and, and he's ready to turn around and go home. I mean, as you might expect, the general didn't take it too well. He's like, what kind of nonsense is this, said Naaman. I, I wanted him to come out and wave his hands over me. And, and, but now he goes and tells me I must wash in that disgusting and muddy Jordan River. We've got much better rivers back home. I could just wash in them. I mean, you look at some of the ancient cities and what they depict would happen. They'd have these, these channels for water to come through the city. And so by the time they had taken care of it, maybe not as fancy as our treatment plant, probably... Uh, smellier, but it, you know they had clean water he could have dipped in. They had bathing pools for this sort of thing. So this isn't setting well with option man. I think this kind of thing happens whenever anyone's pointed to the cross of Christ. You think about how, uh, and forgive me for using this terminology to the cross of Christ, but how morbid and dirty and how horrible that image is. The Christian gospel says if you want help, go to the one who suffers there with sorrow and blood flowing down where they pierced his side and blood and water flowed and, and confess your sins and believe in him. And, and many times people don't react too well to it. I mean, that's gross. How can this help me? Uh, they wonder, uh, isn't there some other way to be helped? Some great deed I can perform. Some quest I can make because of the optional way we are used to thinking. That's the way we think. But the way that God has chosen to help humanity is just not cool enough because it requires humility. You know, I see it sometimes. It's, it's almost harder for someone who has served the Lord and lived for Him and has walked away and let Satan start taking for a ride. Because see, the non-believer doesn't know any better. They've just been carrying these burdens and, and they're confronted with, hey, there is a w different way. Christ can come in and bring peace. Your life doesn't get better as in fact that you'll still have trials. You'll still have circumstances and burdens. But the way you can handle them with the power of Christ in your life is just radical. But the person that's been saved before, they feel such guilt like, well, I live for God and now I've got to clean up my life before I can go back. I can't get around church people because, you know, I've been... Um, living with this person or I've been drinking or I've been doing all these things, the big ones that we always pick out, you know, and I've been doing this. And as soon as I can get all that straightened out, then I'll get right with the Lord. They get the cart before the horse and the thing is somehow they can buy their way in. I could just show God with my good living that I'm acceptable, right? I, I could just prove to him that I deserve his salvation. And, and that's the thing is it's not that complicated, but it is dirty. You do have to get out in the muck and mire. You have to deal with the stuff that's been going on in your life and give it over to Christ. But in Na Naaman's case, his servants, about the time he's ready to go back, he's frustrated. They once again stepped up to the plate and they said, Sir, 
they said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it without question. But, here's, but, but here he asks you to do something simple, which is all the more reason to do it. How many people will spend $5,000 and air flight to go to some self-help seminar that's just going to charge them up and get them, get them successful and take care of all the problems and make their problems go away? but they're asked to confront what's in their heart in in an act of humility, lay it before the Lord and let His grace cover their sin. And it just doesn't make sense. But His servants, with their simple reasoning, they convinced Him. And He went down to the Jordan and He dipped Himself seven times. And on the seventh time He came out and said, and and it was said that His skin was as clean like that of a young boy. And this is an awesome picture how God works. He doesn't just try to paint over. You know, it's like when you try to paint over peeling paint and you didn't take the time to scrub off and work hard and, and get all the old stuff off. You just wanted to paint over it. And pretty soon that paint starts and the new paint lifts, right? The old stuff's coming off anyway. It pulls it off. And so, you know, God didn't just come down and take away his leprosy and say, okay, that's good. Now you're healed. He made a skin as if it was new. God makes all things new. So I think the general had been humbled by his healing. And so in the verses that come directly after our text, we are told that he goes back to Elisha, and at this time, Elisha actually comes out to see him finally. Like, okay, now you're ready. Now you're ready to understand. And he says this in 2 Kings 5.15, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now I know there's no other God. Right now our world is going back to a trend of pluralism where uh, every God is okay. Uh, uh, Allah and God are the same thing, really. Uh, don't be a hater and try to tell people that, that's not, that their God's not real to you. You know, Buddha, uh, uh, all of them, Krishna, all of that, it's all good. Just believe in whatever you want. But wow, here Option Man confesses faith in the one and only real God with all the power and all the things he has because God answered the need that he couldn't take care of himself. And a lost soul meeting his true creator and the Lord acknowledging him as such. And a similar thing happens when the people in our time come to faith. Like the prophet Elisha, the words of Jesus are simple but very specific. He says things like, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die in John eleven twenty five. They might expect us to come out and wave our hands over their problems, right? Uh, to encourage them to to, uh, the river of their choosing. In this day and time, they don't want you to tell them um, what the one way is. Just come bless. Use your power with God and bless my life. I've been asked before to go pray over homes of of folks who are not really serving the Lord. I know in my spirit they're not. Like, hey, will you just come pray over home? And you know, I, I used to kind of just give in to that. And now I say, you know what? I'll get together and pray with you and your family that God really reveals himself to you while you're in this home. But I don't really want to pray over some inanimate object. You know, the scripture is in the Old Testament where there's stories talk about you cannot bless what God has cursed. You cannot curse what God has blessed. I can't just wave my hand over. And I've had people say, Pastor, will you come pray with us? Yes, I will. As a believer, I'll pray for you. I don't want you to think that you have to have a pastor to pray over you. Because the same spirit that lives in me lives in you. 
The same power of God that works through me can work through you. It's whether you're receptive and allowing to. And so in this instant, Elisha is understanding that I can't, I can't just give in to Naaman and go wave my hands over him. Even though God may have answered in that way, I can't do it because that's not going to fix his real problem. His real problem is not the leprosy, it's the pride. It's that he's set himself up to be too secure. And he doesn't need God bad enough yet until he's humbled. And where I'm really driving with this message, I didn't understand why God brought it, but in first service, I think God started downloading me at the end. That I believe whether first, second, service, second, service, or both, someone here has either got a family member or someone they've been trying to minister to, but you've been enabling them. You've been trying to be the, the one that would just wave the hand over the problems. And some of them, God's been trying to pull the rug out from under them to get their attention. And you're trying to patch all their needs and try to make it better. And, and God's trying to say, until they're ready to humbly come before me, I cannot do a real work in their life, which is the spiritual need. Do I tell you not to buy groceries for somebody in need? No, I tell you do that. If they're making it a way of life and trying to get people to fix all their physical needs, but they're running hard from God, at some point you may have to say, you know what, I can't help you like that. I'll come pray with you. I'll stay up all night interceding with you that God gets a hold of your life. I'll do those things. Since God's been leading people with a, uh, different addictions, a new song over the last four years specifically, um, you know, I found that that at the beginning, I tried to do everything I could to patch our situation. Yeah, let me get you a hotel for tonight. Let me do this. Let me do this. And I found out that that's their operation of life is they just go through getting patched up and then going on to do the same thing over and over again. And no one's being strong enough in their life to say, you know what, I won't help you that way because that's not going to help you. You need the Lord to do work in your life. I'll pray with you. I won't let you go hungry. But I'm not going to facilitate and I'm not going to keep impacting your problem by, by making you think it's okay to do that. See, this is a harder message for us because we, we can talk about grace and loving people and we think we can love everybody into the kingdom. But you know, there's some people, as long as God's people are just going to keep patching their situation and not dealing with the real issue at hand, they'll keep allowing the enemy to kick them around. And, and you're an enabler. You're, you're not really focused on the spiritual problem. You're looking at all the physical needs, and you're just trying to patch their, their issues. If this young servant girl of Nam's wife, Naaman's wife could see clearly what he really needed, she didn't even want to be the servant girl. She was captured and put into service. She saw her master's distress. She felt for him, and she couldn't help but point him to the Lord's prophet. We need to get better at pointing people to Jesus and not just trying to be a, a goodwill effort. Do good, yes, but don't think that's going to fix everybody's problems. You know, I grew up in a, in a time in church when I saw the power of God do miraculous things. People instantly delivered uh, of different things. But I think we've kind of got soft. We've kind of bowed. We've become yes men and yes women. The world says you can't tell people that they're living wrong because that's bigotry. That's unloving. Okay, well, I won't do that. I'll try to tell them about Jesus and still make them feel better about their lives. Jesus said, no, there is no other way. You're just putting a Band-Aid over a wound that's just going to keep festering. You, you've got to tell them there is only one way. They've got to lay it down before the Lord. They've got to turn from their wicked ways and follow me. And, and we keep thinking somehow we're just going to love them into the kingdom. We're going to love them into the kingdom. I've heard that. I've said that. 
And, and that's true, we need to love them. Hate the sin, love the sinner. But listen, we need to quit being enablers. We need to quit enabling the people around us who, who, who want to explore following God, but it's just too hard because it reduces their options. I might have to stop doing all the things I'm doing. I might actually have to get in a body of believers and, and have to get along with other church people. You know, I've met so many people, what their hang-up is, is they got mad at somebody in church before, and they'll say a whole church, but usually it's one or two people they got mad at, but that represented the whole church to them. And they leave, and they say, I'm going to serve God, but I'm just not going to be in a church. But you know what? Getting along with people and learning how to do that, that's how God sharpens us. The confrontation, we've talked about this confrontation, that kind of stuff, that's what's sharpening us. And, and, and God's using to, to uh, do something new in us. So there's a lot of people, I know that you know some, you're thinking of them now, who are in distress at this moment. Maybe it's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, whatever it might be, pornography, whatever's got a hold of their life. Maybe they can't manage money and they just keep needing handouts, whatever it is. And in good intentions, you want to be Jesus' hand extended and you've been helping. You've been doing what, it, when they ask you to do it, you, you have this little weird feeling about it, but you're like, well, I don't know what else to do. And so you keep doing that. And in this odd message, in this way, odd way of presenting this, this scripture, I believe that someone here needs to finally say, you know what, I, I, see, it from, I see it from Naaman's situation. It's, they aren't going to really encounter Jesus until I stop feeding the problem. Until I finally put my foot down and say, look, I can't even answer the door right now until you are finally at the point you're ready to be humbled. You're not humbled enough. And Elisha is like, I will send a messenger. I will pray for you, right? I'll pray for you, and I'll pray that God gets a hold of you, but I've got I've to stop enabling you by, by patching your problems. I'm, I'm just a handout to you. Money, place to stay, whatever it is. And it's a tough love message. But you've got to help them understand there is only one way. We aren't going to get to heaven and find out, oh yeah, there's about three or four other heavens and it just depends on what your flavor is. You know? We've got to help people see that there is an answer for their problems. There is a compassionate God that has grace to cover all their sins. There's a God that will love them no matter what they've done before. We will love them no matter what they've done before. I, I don't care what you've done. And one of my biggest struggles uh, with folks that are going through a rough time is sometimes they separate themselves from the body because they're too ashamed for me or someone else to know what they've done. I'm like, look, if I can stand up here and be a shepherd knowing what I've done, then there's no reason for you to separate just because of what you've done. We don't even need to compare notes because that's not healthy. Let's just get on with serving Jesus again. Let's, get it, let's ask him to forgive us and let's just head back out on the path and let's walk life together. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this body of believers. I look around at, at so many familiar faces and, and some that I've just met. And, and God, I don't know everybody's story or what's going on around them. I don't know what family members they have, a boss, whoever it is in their life where they've been really trying and with, with every good intention, they want to be your servant and want to reach them. And their heart's breaking for them. But, but Lord, they've, they've maybe gotten such a rush to be compassionate that they've ignored some of your wisdom you've tried to give them when you've said, don't answer the door. 
don't keep enabling them. I'm not causing the problems the devil is. I'm just allowing it to happen for a time that they might run to me. Like the Scripture tells us in church discipline, when we have someone who, who is venturing, uh, going away from the Lord and getting in sin and, and they've been talked to and, and they aren't going to listen, they're going to continue. The Bible tells us eventually we have to separate from that person. Why? So that it gets so terrible for them that, that, that they finally realize what it was like before they were reminded what it was like before to be without you. And they come running back. I think the church, Lord, we've struggled with tough love. And God, I just ask that you help us. Help us not to be cold. Help us not to be judgmental. Help us to still have compassion, still pray. God, if we can't back up our tough decisions with true time and intercession for those who we're wanting to see reached, then we are just being judgmental and hard-hearted. And I pray you convict us of that too. Lord, I thank you for today that there will be some freedom for some who have been burdened by this, who have just needed your word to give them the okay to say, you know what, this person is just taking me for a ride and you're trying to reach them and I can't do it. I can't fix their problems. Only you can, Lord. So right now as we bow our heads, if, if you're here this morning and you've got someone that you are praying for, it's in this situation right now we described. I don't want anybody looking around, but I want to be able to pray, partner with you in prayer. So if that's you, if you feel comfortable raising your hand, I will keep you in prayer that God will help you be victorious in this situation. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just thank you and praise you, God, for, for those that are now have direction from your word to, to be able to deal with these difficult situations. We thank you, Lord, for a, a beautiful day lord to to celebrate a walk with you lord together with each other let's just pray that you be glorified in everything we do in jesus name amen man love y'all keep in mind men men's bible study we're back on track with uh, jim blankenship this saturday um 8 30 and we'll see you then